Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sweaty sack summer is approaching, and it's time for you to prioritize the comfort of your crotch. That's why the kings of crotch comfort, Manscaped, have spent two years designing the most comfortable boxer briefs ever. I've had the honor of testing out these new boxers, and I can say they have very soft fabric, the softest of any underwear. So breathable, you will love them. They even trademark the dual pouch, so you know it's serious. I think it's time to invest in your family jewels. So get 20% off plus free shipping by using the code ONION at manscaped.com. Mm-hmm. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code ONION at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code ONION at manscaped.com. Harmonize with me and hold me tight all through the night. You're shining bright. I'm your oyster, baby. You're my pearl. There. Yeah, I'm just here. I'm very, very close to your ear hole. He's got this new webcam now. You're the, you're the kind of tech guy out of the two of us. Um, just checking the webcam's working. They said you have to be right in the centre of the frame. How is it good? Hey, could you take one step back? One more step back. One more step back. One more step back. You look fantastic, Dom. Have you had a haircut? Have you had a haircut? I got a haircut today. What do you think? We're, we're calling it military punk. I love it. And might I say, that is a fine moustache. Well, thank you. We're going to get into the moustache and the reason why I have the moustache in a second. But I know you're in the middle of a job right now, so you don't have the freedom of haircuts. But I would say when you get out of this uh, job, responsibility yeah maybe we can be haircut twins because i think you could rock this haircut amazingly i'd love my hair to look like that but at the moment i'm i'm in sort of 19th century north america so i I thrust my hair thusly forward the hair people do that in the mornings right what do you think of that quite quite good quite quite kind of noel gallagher lean gallagher-esque how does, it, how does it feel to be in that period of history? You can't really reveal a huge amount about what, you, what you're doing, but you, you play quite a dastardly character, don't you? Yeah, he's not the nicest guy, to be honest, Tom. And at that time, there was, there was a lot of people who were not very nice like that. And, and what's really concerning, there's still some people these days that are not very nice like that. Yeah. Treating human beings not like human beings. Yeah. Are, are you still in a place, because in, in our industry, we, we have times where we can and can't reveal stuff. Are you still in a place where you can't necessarily say what this job is that you're doing? I think I can see that it is Washington Black. So it is uh, based on that novel, that wonderful novel. Oh, brilliant. Black. And, um, which you've read, haven't you? 
my second favorite book that I read last year. I read um, two books very fast on set last year. The first one was called All the Light We Cannot See, which is a beautiful, <gasps> a beautiful book uh, about um, two young kids going through the Second World War. And then the second one, bought for me by my amazing makeup artist, uh, Ashling Duffy, was Washington Black. And I was charmed by it. The whole world, beautiful. And what a great character, Washington Black. Isn't it lovely? And the, the actors playing Washington Black, because there is more than one as it goes through quite a lot of time, uh, are both wonderful, beautiful young actors and uh, both, both great. So uh, I'm very much looking forward to seeing this one, Dom, and it's been yeah. great fun. And I'm, I'm up in um, Nova Scotia, New yeah. Scotland. New Scotland, and you've been very impressed by Nova Scotia. I've never been, but you recommend it highly, don't you? Yeah, I've been here a few times now, and the last time I was here, just outside Halifax, there's a place called Dartmouth, and this is one of my favourite T-shirts. Look at this, though. Dartmouth is pretty nice. <laughs> That's quite Canadian, isn't it? Dartmouth yeah, is yeah. pretty nice. Pretty nice. Pretty nice. Yeah, let's not go too much here. I love it. It's a lovely place, Dom. You'd love it. I can't wait to see. I know it's. I know it's kind of a place of the great outdoors and and can get a little cold in the winter and stuff. But from a culinary point of view, what is it that Nova Scotia do better than anywhere else? Are they really good for a certain type of wine or a fish dish or seafood, Dom? Yeah, I'll see. They love their seafood. They love it here, and it's absolutely delicious. And if there was one one thing that I think we all try to find, and if you go to a new part of town or you go to a new little village or whatever, a lobster roll. Everyone seems to. That's where you get the best lobster roll. They'll say. So they, that's how you you pick a good restaurant or a bad one. And a lobster roll is delicious. Mm, I imagine. It's like. It's, it's almost like a... A roll of lobster. No, it's like lobster in some bread. But the bread is normally like toasted with butter. Ooh. And then, oh, Dom, with some lemon on it. Oh, oh. <laughs> The song of the lobster roll. And that's what they all sing. Really? You're like a local. <laughs> and you'll hear that up and down the streets of Halifax. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and uh, you recently had COVID, William. Recently had COVID. Dom, I did. I received that into my body somehow. And mm-hmm. uh, I had to go and quarantine for uh, eight days. Mm-hmm. I found myself, Dom. I found myself. Right. But then I lost myself again about day yeah. four. But yeah. I, actually, it was good. The production, said, oh, you'll get COVID. Get out. Yeah, get Stop me in a little, a little cottage next to a lake. Ooh. Maybe like, remember that movie Misery? Sort of like that. Ooh. But without anybody there breaking my ankles or that, which was good. Good, good. So, and, and it was actually quite nice. I just kind of, it was, the weather was quite nice. I didn't feel too bad. A couple of days. Of um, head cold, Uh, quite a lot of League of Legends. Yes, quite a lot of League of Legends. I read quite a lot Mm. and uh, listened to music. It was actually all right. You seemed 
you seem to exhibit very similar symptoms to my dad, which was a little bit of a dry, scratchy throat, kind of, <clears throat> and slightly under the weather, but kind of hard to define how you're under the weather. Just a bit kind of, eh. yeah, just a bit. But when, then when I came back and I did my first day's work, I got in the car to come back to the hotel and I thought, I'm going to go out for dinner tonight. Looking forward to it. And when I got to the hotel, not an ounce of energy did I have. Oh. I couldn't have went for dinner. I didn't have the energy to make my jaw open and close yeah. in a yeah. chewing manner. So I just I went straight to bed. Oh, I was exhausted. It takes it did out you, of you. It does take it out of you. Did you ask, did you call the production and ask for possibly an AD to come over and while you were taking small inhalations in while you were breathing, just drop little pieces of lobster roll into your mouth so you go, poof. That would be lovely. Be a good one. You could choke and die, perhaps. But yeah, you could. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't get out that night. But I'm feeling. I'm feeling pretty much 100 percent again. Two things. I like to. I like to um, use numbers in a in a slightly unorthodox way because normally I would do that piece, but I'm doing that, which is which is a fun one. Two things, Billy. First of all, yes, we did play League of Legends. You ended up playing really good League of Legends while you had COVID, so maybe you should. Consider having COVID again because you were quite good at League of Legends during that. But one of one of the slight one of the things that I'm happy that you've left behind now is during League of Legends, while you had COVID, you you were still having that throaty thing. And every so often, when we were playing in different parts of the map, you would go, and I was like, "Oh my God, what's going on with Billy?" And I was like, "Ah, that's right, he's got COVID. He's got COVID." But it was it was terrifying every time you did it. <laughs> that was that was very very kind of you, Dom, not to bring that up <laughs> while we were playing. That could have made me feel bad. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it was good. There was a lot of good games during that time. It was fun. Yeah, you were playing excellent uh, League of Legends. And then the second thing, number two, is that um, I remember when you actually did start to feel fully human, you took yourself down. For a slap up seafood meal, didn't you? Took pictures of it and everything. Scallops and oysters and oh my god. My god, that was love. That was like my second day out, wasn't it? And I just I thought, I'm gonna get a lunch. And uh, I saw this place. I th- I suppose we were in a little town called um <laughs> <laughs> He's not frozen, he's just thinking. <laughs> Forgot the name of it, but it might come Man. back to me. And it's yeah. just starting to open up for the season, you know. So yeah. little restaurants would open up sort of every couple of days or whatever. And I saw this place and it was fantastic. And I thought, I need to send this to the boys, being the hobbits. Because as we know, Dom, and this was your idea, uh, as we are doing this little tour of conventions um, this year, and first time ever that all four hobbits have have done that. Dom had the idea that we, sh- whatever city we're in, Dallas, whatever, Orlando, that we go to a nice restaurant and we have a nice evening together. And we've been doing that. And that's what made me think. When I went there and I got these lovely oysters, I thought, I'm going to send a picture to the boys, yeah. see what they think of this. Yeah, yeah it, was a, it was a lovely. Because I, I'd been in the house having tins of soup and stuff for, eight days. It was nice to kind of splurge out a little bit.
peeling the onion. I think we, we might have time for one housekeeping thing, especially since uh, this is in regards to the tap paradox or the farsec paradox that we talked about last week. So I'm going to read this out. Go on. This is from, this is from a YouTube user whose uh, name is Another Postcard. <clears throat> That's what their name is on YouTube. Nice. It says, to answer Dom's question, the answer is surface tension. Each separate little body of water has this thing called surface tension that in a way acts as a barrier to the world outside the drop. When that barrier is touched by another one, they merge together and then they continue. I suspect that there are tiny drops of water present or the drops themselves are elongated enough that their respective surfaces are merging and that merge goes all the way up into the faucet or tap. This creates a cylindrical column of flowing water molecules, a.k.a., or otherwise known as Dom's continuous stream of water. This is called laminar flow, and it's all due to the surface tension of the water. This is used to great effect in the animated film, A Bug's Life. Thank you. Another postcard. Well, that, that, was, that was wonderful. It was succinct. Yeah. So there's everything we needed to know, Dom, yeah. and it's just solidified your genius in some ways. Yes, I think so. Now, I don't know. We might. Should we do one more? Go on, Tom. Regarding spooky movies, this is from Deborah on YouTube. Yeah. She asks, what is the scariest movie that came from the 1970s? They were less graphic, leaving more to the imagination. I think they work better that way. First of all, for her, is The Exorcist. Second is Black Christmas. Third is The Sentinel. I've not seen Black Christmas or The Sentinel. Um, Exorcist is scary though. Exorcist is the scariest film of the seventies for me. And then is is Rosemary's Baby from the seventies? I would think or is so. It? Yeah, I think Rosemary's Baby. And what's Baby what's is the what's the one with um oh this is gonna be welcome to my world of the vague, I'm afraid here. See if you can get this one. It's got an actor in it. Yeah, is it Don't Look Now? Is it a, a girl with a red dress? A red jacket? It's not, it's not, it's yeah. don't look how, how did you get how that? The only clue I gave you was it's got an actor in it. Well done, Don. Yeah, points, points on the board. Yeah, Donald Sutherland, Julie Christie, little girl drowns, they go to Venice, terrified. How did I know? Wait, we've never really spoke about that film. Wow, how did all. you know? Um, I, I don't know. Sometimes you just know. Hiring right now is hard. No one is more committed to helping businesses than Indeed. That's why they're giving away $50 million in Indeed sponsorship job credits to help businesses like yours hire great people fast. In the minute I've been talking to you and Billy's been talking to you, 16 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. When you sponsor an Indeed post in the US, you're three times more likely to get a hire according to Indeed data. Right candidate is doing everything they can to find you. And if you use Indeed, you can be sure you're doing everything you can to find them too. Finding great talent doesn't have to be a second job. You can hire faster and better with Indeed. Dom, as you know, Indeed makes it super easy because everything happens in one place. Virtual interviews, that saves you time. You can message, schedule, interview top talent seamlessly all in one place. Indeed saves you headaches. Interview virtually, 
no downloads, plugins, or purchases. You can do it all in one place with Indeed. Even better, Indeed's the only job site where you only play for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring partner, delivering four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest 2019. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Sign up for Indeed now and get $75 credit towards your first sponsored job. Plus, earn up to $500 extra in sponsorship job credits with Indeed's virtual interviews. Visit Indeed.com onion to learn more. Claim your credits at Indeed.com onion. Indeed.com onion. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Sweaty sack summer is approaching, and it's time for you to prioritize the comfort of your crotch. That's why the kings of crotch comfort, Manscaped, have spent two years designing the most comfortable boxer briefs out there. Now, I have had the honor of testing out these new boxers, and I can tell you that they have the softest fabric of any underwear. They are incredibly breathable, so, so comfortable, fantastic. You know, Manscaped have even trademarked the dual pouch, so you know that they're serious about it. I think it's time for you to invest in your family jewels. So, just let everything breathe down there and get 20% off plus free shipping by using the code ONION at manscaped.com. I very much enjoy their Lawnmower 4.0, the best electric trimmer for below-the-waist grooming. This trimmer offers skin-safe technology designed to trim hair on loose skin. Also, the tagless waistband of the boxer shorts hugs your body without digging in, and it lays flat against your skin to reduce chafing. There's a front fly that gives easy access and makes bathroom breaks quick and efficient, and you can choose from an arrangement of designs and colors and sizes from small to three times extra large for all you guys out there. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code onion at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code onion at manscaped.com. Once you try the new Boxers 2.0, you'll never go back. We're going to do the guest, but I want to talk about the moustache because it links to the guest. Were you going to talk about the guest? I was going to talk, I was going to talk about the guest and also... Why I'm not involved with the guest. Not, not, I mean, not involved. I'm not involved in the interview because you did a fantastic job, John. Thanks. I hope you don't mind me saying like a Like a young Terry Wogan. Oh, thanks. Yeah, great. Or a Parky, a Parkinson mm. at the top of his game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, and our guest this week is Perry Pinkhurst, who is a fighter pilot. Now, why would we have a fighter pilot on at this time? The answer is the film Top Gun Maverick, which you recently saw and I recently saw, and you really, really had an enjoyable time in the cinema. Just talk us through that a little bit. Dom, it's, I loved it. I cannot tell you how much I loved it because the number would be too high. It was the weirdest experience I've ever had at a cinema as well. Why? I sat down. Here, I'll tell you why, Dom. I sat down, and the first sort of scene started, right? 
and it's Maverick has got all these friends and they're all, I don't want to waste or, or spoil the film, but this is the first 10 minutes, 15 minutes we're talking about here. He is in a programme where they've got this new fighter plane that they want to get to Mach 10, which is 10 times the speed of sound. Wow. Mach 10. And if you remember the dialogue, this is all guys who have been working together for years on this. The dialogue was the main guy saying, right, they're going to cancel this if we don't get to Mac 10. Yeah. Now, we don't have to get to 10.1, but we have to get to... T and I was just thinking, everybody in this room knows that. You do not have to say that. This is just exposition, which, as yeah. you know, and it's not great for a script. Yeah. Just people who already have information telling the information to the audience. So I was ready to switch off to them. I, was ready, I thought, no, I'm not, I'm not going to buy this. Um, Maverick got in that plane. Nobody thought he was going to get to 10, though. Nobody thought it. They were only even going to go for nine that day. And he just pushed up. He pushed the handle and it got to 10. Oh. And then, dumb, he didn't pull it back. He went 10.1. And the main yeah. guy who told us they had to get to 10, he went, oh, see that, Maverick? He didn't say that, but he said it in his eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And then that Maverick, he pushed it. 10.2, the whole thing's gone at 10.3. I was like, I'm in. I am 100% into this movie. And from yeah. that movie, that moment on, Dom, I loved it. Sat in that chair myself. And, and I, was, I was weeping at parts. I was mm. cheering. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, you sent a message again to The Hobbits saying that you couldn't remember a time where you enjoyed a film as much in the cinema, um, yep. and you've been waxing lyrical about it since. It is, it's an incredible popcorn movie. It gives you everything that you want and shamelessly just kind of says, we're, we're just, we're just going to throw everything at you. The kitchen sink, we don't care. We love fighter planes. We love Tom Cruise's Maverick. We're going to give you everything. Exactly, and, and not in a sort of subtext way. It's just all, they're just saying, look, we're doing this now yeah. because we want you to cry at this point. And I'm yeah. like, I can see you doing that, and I'm crying at this point. I don't, I just loved it. I thought Tom Cruise is brilliant. I don't, brilliant. I can't think of another actor who could play that part now. Like, no, he's like no. old school movie star. Yeah. You don't really get now that could play Maverick, you know? Yeah. It was just, it was just brilliant. An unabashed, matinee idol he's like not only am i not only am i doing a sequel to you've worked hard for what you have your money your assets your 401k and home isn't it all worth protecting nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft lifelock ultimate plus helps protect your finances with up to three million dollars in reimbursement lifelock alerts you to identity threats you might miss and if your identity is stolen your dedicated u.s-based restoration specialist will work to fix it let lifelock help protect what you've worked so hard for save 25 percent off your first year on lifelock ultimate plus at lifelock.com aware terms apply with lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To a film that really put me on the map when I was in my early 20s. But now I'm so big and I'm so brash and out there that I'm going to call the sequel Me. It's Top Gun Me. The whole thing. The cameras are pointing directly at me. Now get some of me into your system. Now who's driving the plane? Me. Hey. Who's everybody talking about? Me. If there's yeah. a beautiful woman, who is she in love with? Me. And you, it's I true. just, I loved it. I loved it, John. I loved it too. Now I'm going to say something controversial. Not only controversial, but so controversial that when I... Uh, put forward this point to you, you just ignored it. You, you flout ignored it. You didn't even respond to it. The controversial, the controversial comment from me is, love Top Gun Maverick, still prefer the original. Is that why you've grown a goose moustache? It is a goose moustache. Well, the goose moustache is very trendy right now because, I mean, obviously Anthony Edwards did it in the original and then you've got Miles Teller doing it. I think the, the moustache is going to make a comeback into the hot, hot summer months. I think it's going to be moustache time. I might grow one. Do? Yeah. You couldn't grow one right now for your job, right? No. But it's almost finished, and I've never, I've never had a moustache. I'll grow on you. You had an amazing beard when you played Banquo, but I'd love to see it with a moustache. You didn't explain to the audience why you couldn't make the interview, so explain that, and then we'll bring on Terry. I'd love to explain that, Tom, but I think it was just as simple as... Terry was coming in. We thought that Terry. I could do it. Terry. 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 Terry? It's Terry Pankhurst, not Perry Tankhurst. <laughs> Terry so Pankhurst. Hold on, if this is Johnny. Oh. Terry. <laughs> Terry. Sorry, John. <laughs> I think I said Perry at the start. Remember no, that? You, didn't, you, said, you said Terry Pinkhurst at the start, and I didn't correct you. It's Terry Pankhurst. We're keeping all this in. John, make a note. We're keeping all this in. We're not trying to offend Terry. We're just trying to uh, make people realize how wrong Billy can get names so often. But, but I never met Terry. And then Congrats John again. has that. John did actually send me the correct name. Yeah, um, and I, I have written it down incorrectly. Yeah, that's a shame. He it's wrote Terry Pankhurst. Terry Pankhurst. Whose call sign was Spanky, because obviously Panky. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. What does that say? Well, that says the entomologist, unfortunately. So <laughs> Come on! Keep this in, John. Keep it all in. It's gold. <laughs> anyway, you were on set is basically what you're trying to say, right? You were at work. Yeah, yeah. So sadly, we were hoping that um, I was I was going to uh, finish in time to be able to come over and and speak to Terry. But uh, as things went, I couldn't I couldn't get I couldn't get offset. So um, yeah. you very kindly, Dom says, let me do the heavy lifting here. I don't want you to worry because I asked him all the questions that I think you could, you would ask, which is you know what does it feel like to have all those G forces on you. Uh, what does it feel like to eject out of a plane? Do you uh, does anyone ever pull the bl- uh, hit the brakes and fly right by? I asked all of those classic questions. So why don't we bring on Terry right now? 
So, ladies and gentlemen, we are joined now by Terry Pankhurst, who looks like he wrote this bio, and I was just reading it, and it's fa- fantastic. So before I ask you a ton of uh, crazy fighter jet uh, questions, Terry, I'm just going to read your bio because it's, it's fascinating. Um, grew up on a farm in Irondale, Missouri. Graduated high school in 1988 and college in December 91 with a degree in aviation tech. And then you put here mostly aircraft mechanical stuff. Uh, wanted to be a commercial pilot, but with a terrible market for commercial aviation after the first Gulf War, chances of that were nearly non-existent. So joined the, uh, tried to join the Air Force or Naval Aviation. Navy came through, was sworn in and checked into Aviation Officer Candidate School 1992 after five months of marine drill instructors and loads of PT, physical training. Graduated, got married, headed to primary flight training at Corpus Christi in Texas. After primary, selected jets and headed to Kingsville, Texas for intermediate and advanced strike training. Received my wings of gold, April 95. Headed to San Diego, California for training in the S-3B Viking. Damn. Flew the Viking for nearly four years on many deployments to faraway places. In February 2000, went to training command to teach the next generation of naval aviators. Literally maverick. Uh, Taught on the T-45 Goshawk for the next 12 years after retiring in May 2012. Taught in the T-45 simulator for several years and have a T-45 maintenance test pilot for over uh, eight years now. Two daughters from your late wife. Sorry to hear that. Um, Two stepdaughters, three uh, grandchildren, still play video games, think that jokes are a necessary second language, and then you wrote here at the bottom, there's so much more, I've probably gone on too long. Let me know if you need anything else. It was perfect, Terry. It was perfect. (laughs) Um, Thank you, sir. Man, what a life. Now, it seems from your bio here that you you are now currently retired from the Navy or not. Are you still working? I am retired from the Navy as of uh, May 2012. But I fly as a civilian contract pilot. So I work for Vertex Aerospace. They maintain, maintain the aircraft. When they do work on them, I take them out and uh, test fly them to make sure they actually are fixed. And if they are, I sign them off and put them back in service. Wow. So you're test, pi- test flying planes to make sure that everything's okay after they at one point were not okay. So you're literally the guinea pig to see if things are working again. <laughs> I never thought of it that way, but I guess so. <laughs> so they kind of say, hey, Terry, yeah, it's fine. You can go up. But just in case, if things do go bad, we've got the right man here. That's the idea, that you, you could troubleshoot yeah. in the air. <laughs> they do good work, and um, I've not had to troubleshoot too much very often. When you fly commercially, do you tell people as you're getting on that you're also a pilot, just in case something happens, or do you keep that to yourself? Uh, no, I, I don't do that, but... Uh, It'd be a little bit, uh, I guess, arrogant. Right. But, uh, I did fly briefly in a commuter airline, flying Embraer 145s, little, those little commuter jets, the one that has one set of uh, seats on one side and two on the other. Yeah. And uh, I did that for a few months before I realized that just wasn't my life. Uh, so. Well, just a, was it a little monotonous, backwards and forwards? What What did you not like about that? Yeah, it, it's uh, it's driving the bus. You do a lot of uh, or spend a lot of time pre-flighting, putting stuff into the flight computer, and. Uh, monitoring the autopilot. Right. That's just not something I really got behind. But just to confirm, Terry, if you were on a plane and both the pilots had the chicken and you had the shrimp and the, chi- <laughs> and the chicken was nice not reference. great. Yeah. They, they could, you, you could put your hand up and say, well, I can fly this plane and land it. You could do that with, with any plane out there. 
I could probably figure it out. Love that. I want to be on planes with you for the foreseeable future. (laughs) Fresh from San Diego, California comes the only sunglasses brand I'm ever going to wear again. I'm talking about blenders I wear and you're going to be just as hooked when you see just how cool these shades are. I have an amazing pair of sunglasses. I keep it in my car. They help me from getting too much sun around my eyes. When I've got my window down, people go, hey, cool guy, what's your name? And I say, shut your face, I'm wearing sunglasses. Chase Fisher started Blenders by selling his beachy shades out of a backpack while doubling as a surf instructor on Pacific Beach. His goal was to create adventurous, mid-priced eyewear option with the same cool factor as the leading styles. And unlike expensive, big brand shades, that you probably lost or smashed at the beach, blenders are actually affordable. So you're not going to cry as much when the inevitable happens. Mm-hmm. Billy does break a lot of sunglasses. Blenders team of in-house designers are constantly coming out with new styles from orange polarized wraparounds to tortoiseshell frames with purple lenses to classic gold arms on black lenses. And it's not just sunglasses. Blenders has prescription glasses readers and blue lights as well as snow collection with goggles and accessories live life in forward motion with blenders today to score 15 percent off your blenders purchase visit blenderseyewear.com and enter the promo code onion vip that's blenderseyewear.com code onion vip for 15 percent off Ren is a startup that's making it easy for everyone to make a meaningful difference in the climate crisis. Right now, they're focused on monthly subscriptions where you can calculate your carbon footprint and offset it by supporting awesome climate projects that plant trees, protect rainforests, and remove CO2 from the sky. Their goal is to unlock the collective action of millions of individuals to drive the systemic change needed to end the climate crisis. So Dom and I have been talking about this uh, for quite a few years now, and we've done uh, lots of stuff over the years to try and help offset our carbon footprint. Um, I know we have planted a lot, of, a lot of trees, especially in Scotland, but all over, and been involved with lots of different companies. And Wren really make it easy and simple, which is a great thing, to help you offset your carbon footprint. Wren is a website where you can calculate your personal carbon footprint based on your lifestyle, then offset it by funding projects that plant trees, protect rainforests, and sequester CO2, and more. Signing up for REN is an easy way to do something meaningful about the climate crisis. REN practices hyper-transparency. Once you sign up to make a monthly contribution to offset your carbon footprint, you'll receive monthly updates about the tree planting, rainforest protection, and carbon removal projects you're funding. You can even see the exact coordinates of the trees you've planted. Fantastic. It's going to take all of us to end the climate crisis. Do your part today by signing up for REN. Go to wren.co forward slash onion. Sign up and they'll plant 10 extra trees in your name. That's wren.co slash onion. Start making a difference. Thank you, REN. Well, Terry, what we do like to do on these uh, shows is ask people kind of their, their origin story because who knows, maybe there is, is a young girl or a young boy out there that would love to be um, doing the job that you do. So we'd love to kind right. of take that back and, and find out where that came from. So you grew up on a farm in Missouri. Were you fascinated with, with planes from a young age? 
very young age. In fact, I would have to say where it really sparked in me was, I don't know if you are familiar with a show starring Robert Conrad back in the late 70s called uh, Baba Black Sheep or Black Sheep Squadron. No, I do not know um, that show. So tell me about that show. Oh, I'm dating myself. Uh, <laughs> and they flew the F4U Corsair. And that's my favorite plane in the entire universe right there. Uh, but it was a uh, story following the exploits of Pappy Boeington and, and the Black Sheep Squadron. Of course, highly fictionalized. Yeah. Um, but... They went on missions every week. They had their standard enemies and stuff, and they flew the Corsair and did all kinds of cool stuff. And I just fell in love with uh, aviation right then, especially that particular airplane. Right. So, so how quickly, how old were you when you watched that show, and how quickly did you start to put things into place to think, I want to be a pilot? Uh, probably about the time I was 12 or so, I really started to feel that I wanted to start pushing that way. I started feeling the, the need to or the urgency to get started along that path. So I, my mom and dad knew this. They took me to a local airport and showed me the airplanes, got to talk to some of the old pilots and stuff. And basically they told me how much it would cost to get your private pilot's license. In the early 80s, that was about, I don't know, probably $1,500 or so. Right. My mom and dad thought that would discourage a 12-year-old, but what it did is it gave me a goal. Yeah. So I started, uh, you know, mowing lawns and doing all kinds of other chores and uh, raised almost all of that money. Fast forward to 1987, early 87, mm -hmm. and I had money amassed and I wanted to, to really go ahead and give it a try. So we went back to the airport and uh, I was going to sign up for lessons and stuff. And a, an older gentleman in the corner pulled me to the side, my mom and dad as well. And said, the best way to do this, if you want to do it as a group, as a family, is to buy yourself uh, an, one of the older airplanes and everyone get their license. And if you don't want to keep the airplane, sell it at the end. Because airplanes have a tendency to keep their uh, value if you take care of them. You can sell them for as much or more than you bought them for. So believe it or not, my, uh, my parents got on board with that and we ended up buying a plane. Uh, an old 62 uh, Cessna 172. So that's, that's, the, that's like I, a little kind of five-seater, seven-seater type plane. How, how many people can see uh, it? It's only four. Okay. Uh, it's a very simple airplane. A uh, fixed pitch prop, fixed gear, the whole bit. Right. So you buy the plane, and then, uh, then you're looking for someone to teach you how to, how to fly that plane. The entire family, your mom, dad, and yourself. Uh, yes, sir. We got an uh, inst uh, older instructor, been around for a good while, but uh, knew all the... All the tricks, I guess, and we paid him uh, by the hour to uh, teach us in that airplane. Uh, I got my license in about five months. Mom and Dad took a little bit longer, but we all three ended up getting a private license. Wow! And how old were you? Were you get? Were you sorry when you got your license? You just graduated in high school, is that right? Oh, uh, seventeen. So, and uh, that's that's the youngest that you can get it. Is that sixteen, seventeen? Uh, six, seventeen for the license. You can solo when you're sixteen, though. Wow! So you get your you get your pilot's license and you graduate from high school. And then what is the, what is your path? And is that the normal path that most people are taking to be a pilot? Uh, no, that's probably not really the normal path. Um, speaking from the military side, most people show up to primary training with no previous experience. Um, so I was a little bit of an anomaly there. Yeah. Uh, if you're going commercial aviation, uh, straight to the airlines, then yeah, that's probably how you do it. You get your private license, work your way up through your ratings, Become an instructor yourself in small planes, build your hours, and then finally uh, get picked up when you have enough at uh, 
oh, some small twin engine uh, outfit maybe, and then from there you'd go to the commuter airlines, and from there you'd go to the uh, to the majors. So you came in to the Navy already as a pilot, which most people would have to have that rudimentary training. Is that correct? Right, and it it was very helpful helpful through primary training. By the time you get to jets, it really is a different world, though. Um, so it really doesn't buy you much of anything there. Yeah. Um, so much of that training is procedural and uh, uh, instrument uh, flight, which I didn't have a whole lot of. Right. And uh, that that pretty much leveled the playing field from intermediate and advanced. Yeah, I'm sure. And then I'm reading here. It says you wrote that you had five months of marine drill instructors and lots of physical. <laughs> training so let's just yes. let's just go into that a little bit this is this is the kind of model where they're trying as hard as they can to see if you will be able to take orders what your what your mental strength is like alongside your physical strength but could you just talk us flesh that out a little bit what that's about i'll do my best um there is a movie with uh, richard gear from way back mm. called an officer and a gentleman yes that it's is a great supposed one. to be aocs and uh that's fairly close i suppose but it's um not quite as uh loose i guess as that movie might have been plus it doesn't take place in washington state at that time aocs was in uh, pensacola florida right um the physical part of that's probably pretty close i think at one point i was averaging running anywhere from eight to nine and a half uh miles a day from different stuff right uh there's also academics involved and yes the uh, drill instructors uh would treat you, to say the least, very poorly to make sure you really want this. you got to remember, you've got guys with four-year uh, college degrees, and if they can survive this program, they're going to get commissioned, and they're going to go to flight school. Mm-hmm. They need to know that it's really worth that to you. Right. It's like uh, I had it described to me as holding on to the tailgate of a truck while they're trying to stomp your fingers and make you let go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I want to say, my class started with 27, and we finished with 12, and that was about the average. Right. Okay. So they're, they're generally looking to cut it in half at that, the least type thing. Um, and, it, right. and it's as much as a mental game as it is a physical game, right? I mean, throughout the day, you're obviously doing a lot of physical stuff. But, Absolutely right. But really, the instructors are trying to say, they're trying to see, can they handle the mental torture that we're putting on top of the physical torture? Yes, very much so. Right. Very much. I mean, I remember Richard Gere in an officer and a gentleman just constantly saying over and over again that he wasn't going to quit. That's all they're trying to make you do is quit, right? They're like, go ring the bell, go oh, quit. It's yes. fine. You can have a, a hot meal and, you know, sleep in a nice bed for however long you want. And <laughs> Because the enemy, the quote-unquote enemy, they're going to be way crueler than the drill instructors. That's what they're trying to drill into you, right? Right, exactly. Okay, so you do the physical training. Is, is, it, is, it, a, is it a fail-pass type thing, or is it just the people that get to the end pass? Uh... Well, I'd say fail pass. I mean, if you can't do the runs, uh, you can drop out. At that time, you could drop out of uh, three runs. And over a four-month uh, period, that's a lot of runs. Mm. Uh, and if you dropped out of more than that, then you would go on probation. If you dropped out again, you're probably out. Right. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty, um, uh, pretty strict. Okay, so you pass that. And then from there, what, what happens after the five months with the Marine drill instructors? Uh, then you go to primary training, and there's two places for that in the Navy. One is uh, uh, near Pensacola, Florida, Whiting Field, mm-hmm. and the other is Corpus Christi, Texas, right. uh, NES Corpus. Um, there, at that time, we would go fly a plane called the T-34 uh, Mentor, and uh, nowadays it's the T-6 uh, Texan II. 
Um, and then depending on how you do out of that program, how your grades are and what's available, needs of the Navy, you, you put a dream sheet in as to what you want to go fly, whether it's helicopters or a large wing aircraft or what they call strike, which is anything that goes on board the carrier. Mm. Um, and depending on your grades and needs of the Navy and availability, you get what you can. Right. So I selected, one, or I selected uh, Jets Kingsville and was able to go down there for uh, my intermediate and advanced training. So that's, that's intermediate and advanced fighter jet training, yeah. Right. Uh, if you want to be more specific, you'd call it strike training because you also include in that um, non-fighter aircraft. I flew the S-3 Viking, which is not a fighter aircraft. Mm. It is a surface control aircraft. I, w- I would hunt uh, surface ships and submarines. Mm. Um, and, of course, the E-2 Hawkeye you're probably familiar with has the large spinning dome on top. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, nowadays it's pretty much it's some flavor of Hornet. Uh, or uh, the F-35 Charlie. Hmm. Um, and generally, is there, is there usually a kind of a thing that the best people in the class all want to do? Like, do the best generally all want to be kind of at the sharper edge of the, of the weapon, kind of doing the fighter Most jet the time. stuff? Yeah, yeah uh, some people have their own specific uh, uh, desires. Some people... Maybe if they don't want quite as dynamic a, a flying, might try to go, uh, well, in my day, S3 Vikings or uh, E2 Hawkeyes. I did want to, to fly a Hornet or a Tomcat, but didn't quite have the grades compared to the other guys I finished with, so I ended up in the S3s, which turned out to be a great deal. Yeah. But no, I'd be lying if I said I um, chose that first. Um, so once again, it comes down to your grades. Right, and to be flying the Tomcats, you, you, need, you need to be like the best in the country type thing. Uh, the Tomcat, believe it or not, um, you had to be good at landing on the ship. It's one of the harder ones oh, to bring yeah. aboard. Yeah. Um, the second one was actually one called the EA-6B Prowler. That one was equally as hard. So if you had really good boat grades, if everything else is really good, you might find yourself in a EA-6B Prowler because of that. Um, so kind of a double-edged sword doing good at the boat the first time. That's the classic kind of landing on the aircraft carrier, and it, and it, and it has the little bungee cord that kind of grabs hold of the plane. Oh, Yes. That yeah. still that still happens to this day. That's not that's not just a Top Gun cheesy thing. Oh, that is absolutely real. Um, and uh, we send. Uh, in fact, we have kids going to the boat this week. So the G's, the G forces on just landing a plane like that, because you're coming in relatively fast, and then it's grabbing hold of you qu- very quickly and bringing you to a halt very quickly. What's the G's in the landing process? Do you know? I'm not sure exactly what the G's are. My guess would be probably only about uh, four if I had to put a number to it. But you're going from 150 mile per hour roughly to zero in about, I don't know, three, four seconds. Yeah, that's that's a lot. I mean, you know, most people are not ever experiencing that unless they're in, unless they've done something really wrong with their car and, and they're in a fast <laughs> car, you know. Yeah, good point. Well, let's let's talk about life on an aircraft carrier. If you're... If you're stationed out on an aircraft carrier um, as a pilot, how much time are you generally actually out on that ship? Okay, every aircraft carrier has assigned to it an air wing. And the air wing is comprised of several different squadrons, usually located at different places in the country. Most of our our Hornet squadrons are divided between uh, uh, California, Lemoore, and uh, Oceana in uh, Virginia. And our Growlers, which uh, are the electronic warfare Hornets, are up in Washington State and uh, various other places for some of the other aircraft. Anyway, the air wing is put together by squadrons from each of these locations, and they come together at the beginning of what we call the workup cycle. 
And that usually begins up in Fallon, Nevada, which, by the way, is where Top Gun is actually located uh -huh. these days. Uh -huh. It used to be Miramar, but for 20-something years, it's been Fallon, Nevada. I can't believe Tom Cruise got something wrong. That's outrageous. Well, actually, they, they covered it pretty well in the movie because he wasn't going to Top Gun. He was going to meet Top Gun graduates That's at North true. Island, which is where I was stationed in S3s for a while. That is true. We'll get into Top Gun at some point. Don't worry. But go, please go on. <laughs> All righty. Um, Anyway, so the uh, Air Wing gets together, and they start doing the rudimentary stuff that makes them become a team. Mm. Uh, everything from air-to-air -air refueling to going on uh, simple missions, progressively harder missions, until the entire Air Wing works together like a you know, well-oiled machine. Mm -hmm. Then they take this well-oiled machine, and they take it to the carrier for a workup cycle, uh, usually off the coast of... Um, well, maybe around Puerto Rico or off the coast of Carolina or something like that. Mm. And that's usually four or five weeks long, where once again, you start out with basic you know, carrier operations, you know, get back to the basics of landing on the ship and taking off and going through those cycles. And then you start introducing more and more uh, simulated war games. Mm. Um, then you come back off the ship for a little while longer. Ship goes through some final preparations, as does the air wing. Get together for one more of those exercises, usually three or four weeks long. And then you are certified um, by Nav Air, I think, to actually go on cruise at that point. You're, you're fully up and ready, if you will. Right. Then you go on cruise usually for six to seven months uh, if there isn't any trouble in the world. Mm. And uh, then you come home and go on some downtime, and then you start the whole cycle again after a few months. So in those times when you're, when you're away for six to seven months and, and there isn't any you know, uh, real major trouble... You're going out on exercises at that point. You're, you're replicating trouble. Is that right? Uh, pretty much, yeah. The uh, fighters will go high and do uh, cap missions. They'll will often play with uh, other foreign powers. The French like to uh, play with us a lot, uh, so yes. the Brits. Um, so we'll do war games with each other just to you know, keep each other sharp. Um, flying S3s, my job was to uh, paint a picture of every surface ship out there and uh, assess their threat. And if necessary, prosecute. Though that in the Mediterranean, where I uh, did my cruises, that wasn't really all... Uh, needed that much. The mm. closest I came to firing on a ship was uh, during Kosovo in 99 mm. when Milosevic, uh, if you might remember that uh, yes. whole thing, uh, he left his Navy in port. We basically told him if he came out of port, you know, we would take him out. Yeah. And he never even fired up the boilers. So, And did he have a large Navy in comparison to what you guys were threatening him with? No. Oh, not even close. Not, not really. Right. Um, it would just be posturing if he came out. I mean, very often it does seem to be that in, in modern day warfare is a lot of posturing, right? It's like, well, look, it is. Have, a, have a look at what we've got. We're massive and have a look at what you've got. You're not that big. Let's just have a nice right. compromise here. Yeah, political stuff and ROE, rules of engagement, play a lot in that. And uh, it's not uncommon for the little guy, if you want to call it that, to uh, uh, rattle their sabers, as the uh, term goes, mm. right next to the mark that we've drawn mm. um, just to show that they to the world that they quote unquote stood up to the big guy right right i was filming in ukraine about eight or nine years ago we were in the crimea region which is obviously uh -huh. southern ukraine and uh in a few of the restaurants that we had eaten at that were on the kind of coastline harbor there the people working in the restaurants would point out oh there was a russian submarine kind of coming up to the surface over there a few weeks ago and, and over there a few weeks wow. ago. And again, it's just a way of kind of saying, hey, we're just letting you guys know we're here. Not going to do anything, but we are here. And, you know, just deal with right. it. 
Yeah, crazy. Um, all right, well, let's talk Top Gun because you graduated. <laughs> you graduated high school in 1988. I believe the original Top Gun came out in 1987. So 86. 86. So Terry, you're, you're right in it. You're, what are you, 13, 14 when Top Gun came out? Something like that? Uh, 16. Oh, man, yeah. come on. Old guy. <laughs> man, that, so that must, have been a, that must have been a crazy film for you. I just recently saw, so I had friends come up to stay with me uh, this weekend. Friday night, we watched what we're now coining OG, original gangster Top Gun, and then we watched the new Top Gun uh, oh. Saturday morning at the cinema. Um, but, right. I mean, similar to the Karate Kid, because when I was a kid, I joined a karate class, and, and did it for, you know, kind of a year or two. And the instructors said, every time the Karate Kid is on the TV, we get 50% extra people in our classes. These Top Gun films <laughs> must be so influential in your particular field of work. Does it get in any way annoying where people are like, oh, so who's your Iceman and who's your <laughs> Maverick? Well, there's a lot of misconceptions. Uh -huh. That Top Gun has kind of brought about for the Navy, but I want to say both movies are fantastic. Agree. Uh, most naval aviators really love them, but you have to leave reality at the door. Mm. But they're both fantastic mm. movies. I especially this last one. I was uh, I was pretty blown away by what Tom Cruise referred to as a love letter to aviation. Yeah, um, he was right. Yeah, it's beautiful the way they the way they frame the aircraft, the way the aircraft are taken off, the way they perform in these skirmishes. Right. Even even every level of transport, the way he rides motorcycles, the way he drives car. It, it, is a, it is a real love letter. I had watched some YouTube kind of um, breaking some of these myths about original Top Gun and the new Top Gun. And this pilot had said, you know, the, the way that they coined the term bogey is completely incorrect because a bogey is essentially yes. an unidentified aircraft. We don't know where they're from. Right. But as soon as they're identified, they are, they are now no longer a bogey. They're something else. Is that correct? A bandit. A bandit, right. Okay. So I think maybe they say bandit in, the, in this recent film, but in the previous one, everything's a bogey, and that's, that's not right, right? Right. Well, they had a, a several things in the first one that uh, you kind of had to roll your eyes at. And one of the right. biggest ones that always bothered me, when, when Maverick is fighting Jester, mm -hmm. and Jester is, quote, unquote, a, you know, diving below the hard deck yeah. to get away. Yeah. The hard deck is the simulated ground. Okay. Jester flew into the ground, and Mav yeah, and Maverick follows him. So Maverick commits suicide. Essentially, oh, come on, as Maverick. Far as, the, as, as far as the engagement is concerned, that's exactly what happened. Okay, yeah, that's uh, not cool. And that would have been Maverick's kill had he just not gone below the deck himself. Tom Cruise messing it up again. Uh, the other thing, <laughs> the other thing in the first. Um, Top Gun, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, first of all, the inverted, um, you know, giving the bird to the enemy thing oh, is, right. is, just, is just so unsafe that you would immediately be court-martialed and never work again. But he's using, uh, he's using a Polaroid camera with a flash, so the glare from his screen would, not, sh yeah, would not show up the enemy. Um, yeah. I, 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 I want to ask you this, because I've, I've never had the opportunity to ask someone with, with your level of qualifications the the way that Goose unfortunately passes away in the original Top Gun spoiler alert if you've not seen it but it is thirty years <laughs> yeah. ago who hasn't is, could that be an accurate way that that a pilot might succumb to serious injury or death well it would take a, a mechanical malfunction now the movie kind of makes you 
think that somehow he did something wrong because Maverick says, watch the canopy. Well, there's no control over that. It's completely automated. When you pull that handle, that canopy flies first. And then within less than, uh, I think, 1.5 seconds, both seats are out of the jet. So Goose had no control over that. So saying watch the canopy doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it's kind of a hero thing for Tom Cruise's character to say. But yeah, he doesn't. There would would be no examples previously of people having watched the canopy and stayed safe or not watched it and and died. Yeah. Um, Right. It would have to be a mechanical malfunction of some kind. Right. How often throughout a, a average calendar year would you guess pilots are jettisoning their planes? It's not common, right? Um, no, it's it's not common at all. Uh, if you ever look at, you can look this up online, at the mishap rate in the Navy, yeah. you'll see a geometric curve downward uh, to, back in the 50s, they were losing a plane almost every day somewhere mm. in the Navy. Mm. To the point now where we probably lose knock on wood, uh, 20 or so maybe in a year. Right. Uh, so I wouldn't, uh, the human factor that's in there is usually, unfortunately what happens, um, either someone didn't react quick enough or they did something that they might or they shouldn't have. Right. But every once in a while you do have catastrophic, you know, failures. And, uh, I did like in Top Gun Maverick where they had the bird strike that actually happens fairly often. Yeah. Happens, happens on commercial jets as well, right? Commercial planes. It does. Yeah. Um, I've hit a, a few birds. Fortunately, nothing catastrophic. Gossok only has one engine, so if, if it went down the intake, that's probably toast. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Now, if you're a pilot that has found yourself in a position where you have ejected from a plane twice, is that kind of the end of your career? There actually is a limitation, but it's more medical uh, than anything else. When you eject from the aircraft, um, all joking aside, you actually lose maybe a half inch on your height because it compresses your spine so bad. Damn. Um, so there are probably limitations that, um, on how many ejections you could, you can have and still be allowed to, uh, fly ejection seat aircraft. Wow. So the, the average fighter pilot coming towards the end of their career, are, are they exhibiting relatively similar injuries do you have do you have problems with your spine do you have problems with your neck or does g-force bring in any kind of common injuries g-force can um when you're in control of the aircraft and you pull heavy g's you're ready for it you're in a good position sure. for it when you're teaching students and they suddenly decide to pull without really telling you yeah. or, or you're not or at some unexpected point it can catch you if you're looking slightly off to the side it can tweak your neck pretty bad right um most guys who teach uh, ACM, air combat maneuvering in the aircraft, or BFM as we call it now, basic fighter maneuvers, um, two or three years, if you can go that whole time without having a real neck injury, you're probably doing good. Wow. Wow. Um, and in that fighter training stuff that goes up with real planes in the sky, would it be fair to say that what we're seeing in both of these Top Gun films is way closer than it would be in the exercises that you guys do? Because if you clip a wing, you can kill someone easily, right? Well, we fly very close to each other. Now, when, he, when Maverick flies between the formation yeah. uh, and surprises them, okay, yeah, that's... that's <laughs> it's cavalier, to say the least. I can't possibly imagine that happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Got to give it that. Yeah. But uh, no, you really wouldn't want to do something like that because yeah. if anyone moves at the last second, you're going to take everyone with you. Right. I mean, it is quite maverick. It's quite a maverick move. And it's, it, it, it is. You know, it, it, he, and he, part of me says that is so cool. He's living, living up to I'm his gonna name. I'm going to go with that. My friends and I on Friday night when we were watching the original one, my friend Will and I said, 
because this is kind of a fun exercise the next time you watch the original Top Gun. Watch the original Top Gun with a view of objectively trying to decide whether or not uh, Maverick is kind of a dick in the first film because <laughs> he he is objectively yeah. kind of a dick. Do you know what I mean? He's he's a nice yes. guy, whatever. He's a handsome dude. Everyone likes him. He's, he's he's got that you know cocky arrogance, but he's not very nice to his fellow pilots. He puts Goose in an extraordinary amount of danger and threat of being right. dismissed like three or four times just because he wants to like do a flyby and and taters. He's not nice to Charlie. Right. He's disrespectful to his instructors. You know, in the final exercise where they where they bring him back and he goes up with ice and, you know, he bugs out for a second. I would assume even though he comes back and quote unquote saves the mission, the fact that he bugged out for a moment would mean, okay, thanks, but you're done. That's that's your career over. Yeah, it, it could be. Um, that's another thing is really only a Hollywood setting. Right. Because, in the t you know, most uh, engagements last honestly, about uh, 45 seconds to two minutes tops. Mm -hmm. So those critical few seconds where he's off trying to you know, talk to me, Goose, uh, his wing, his, you know, ice is already dead. Right, right. Yeah, because he's being, he's being ganged up on that point. Um, the right, but I got the same feeling about his character too, because in this business, the number one thing you have to have with everyone is trust. Right. You have to trust that they are going to have your back. Right, right. And uh, that's paramount. So yes, you're absolutely right on that call. Yeah. Um, now the thing about locking on and tone and all this kind of stuff. So when you're locking on, that's, that's trying to get the missile that you're carrying underneath your plane to tell you that if you were to fire it at this point, there's a very strong chance that it would lock on to the plane that's in front of it. Correct. Right. Most missile missiles have what's called initial homing where you lock it and tell it where to go. And then once it gets close enough to its target, depending on what type of a sensing uh, unit it's using, whether it's heat or whatever, then it takes into, goes on what's called terminal homing, where it's taking care of it itself. Right. Um, and yes, the, they had a much better heads-up display uh, for the second movie than the, the first one. The first one was obviously very 80s looking. Yeah. Um, but the premise is, is relatively um, solid on that, now, even that, if the appearance isn't. And that... that tone that Maverick and Goose or whomever else hear in their cockpit, is that tone also heard by the enemy that they've been locked onto? Oh, no, no, it's, it's not. They kind of make it seem like it is yeah. because when, that, when it starts buzzing, they go to the other cockpit. Of the, um, now, what they are going to hear in their cockpit is we have these things, uh, what's called raw gear, which is a basically warning when something has locked on to you. Okay. It's kind of like a fuzz buster, you know, in your car. Yeah. Um, so... Their tone may not be the same one, but yes, they would probably know that they were locked on to. They would hear something. Okay, cool. Now, and, and what about the science of, or the physics maybe, of um, hitting, the blades, uh, hitting the brakes and flying right by? So I was saying to my friend Will over the weekend, I was like, I'm confused. He, pulls, he pushes forward and pulls back. To me, that uh, feels like he wouldn't go up and backwards. But is that correct right. or not? Talking about the original Top Gun when he does that original fly Top right Gun. by thing? Yeah. Yeah, he had the throttles backwards on that. He would have pulled them back, popped his speed brakes to slow down as rapidly as possible and pull directly up to also create more parasite drag. Putting it forward, yeah. So in, in original Top Gun, he, if he was doing it right, he would pull back with both hands and then push forward with his feet. Is that right? Well, the feet are your rudders, so pushing forward wouldn't do anything uh, good. One foot or the other is going to move your rudder left or right. So, yeah, uh, feet would have nothing to do with it, but pulling the throttle back to idle and pulling the stick up to do 
they refer to it kind of as a cobra maneuver, if right. you will, yeah, uh, yeah, at least the, the beginning of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it would allow the other craft to fly right by unless they copy them. But I guess you're supposed to understand he did it so quickly they couldn't respond. To yeah. Him. Or if they were too close and instead of just flying right by, they just smash right into him. Which right. Should, exactly. They had to reflexively miss them. In the, in the second Top Gun film, he, he gets it more accurate. Is that right? The way that he does the flyby. He does. Um, the, the first film, one of the other kind of uh, comical parts of the fighting that they did is you would have one aircraft in front of the other. The one in front would do an aileron roll. Well, that's real pretty. Thanks. And shoot him. Right. You know, it doesn't do anything, <laughs> but, it, but it looks good. Yeah, it's it looks like, sexy. that was pretty. You know, thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, but the real ACM or uh, fighting, dogfighting, is like a knife fight in a closet. Mm. You are trying to get in there as fast as you can behind the other guy, mm. any way it takes. And to do that, you have to fight your jet the, to the best possible ability. Mm. In the T-45, for instance, you have to stay right in the neighborhood of best cornering speed, which I believe is around 300 knots for the goshawk. If you can maintain that speed and energy and turn a tight circle and outperform the other T-45, you'll eventually end up on their tail and you shoot them. Right. That it, it does not look as good, yeah. you know, as uh, aileron rolls and whatnot. Right. But that's how it actually goes. That's that's the more accurate way of, of doing what you're supposed to do up in the sky. Yeah. Right, and I think they alluded to that much better in this film. Yeah, uh, the second one. Yeah, they, they seem to, you know, seem to do that. Yeah, I mean, look, I I'm I'm slightly taking the Michael out of the Top Gun films. I absolutely love them. The original Top Gun completely holds up. The second one, we had so much yeah. fun at the cinema. Um, I loved so many things about that second film. One of the things that I really liked was when Tom Cruise's character finds himself back in the plane that he flew in the original <laughs> Top Gun, it does look very dated, doesn't it? It looks kind of like, ah. Yeah. And even Goose's son is like, oh, look at this old dinosaur. Or what am I supposed to do with this? But clearly technology moves on so fast. And you must have an acute understanding of just how fast technology moves on because in the Navy, you're at that finer point of technology, aren't you? Actually, to be honest, it uh, depends on what part of the Navy you're talking. If you're at the tip of the spear, mm. Super Hornets, F-35, Charlies especially, yeah, you probably have close to the latest and greatest. Right. In the old Goshawk, um, and I even flew an older version of the Goshawk than I'm flying now, technology currently is probably about 30 years old. Oh, um, probably a lot one Hornet. I guess would be the closest thing to what we currently have right. because that's all you need in the training command. Uh -huh. uh, but the closer you get to the tip of the spear, yeah, the better the equipment's going to be. Now you were an instructor. Is that correct? I'm reading here. Right. Um, I had a interesting career that way. Um, I flew the S three of the fleet, went to the training command in Kingsville, Texas in 2000, February mm. and started teaching in the T 45 alpha. Mm. Um, and after I was planning on doing a Hornet transition because the S3 Viking was going away in just a, a few more years, well, they had to extend the S3 Viking's uh, service because the Super Hornets weren't being built fast enough to take over our role as an indigenous air-to-air -air refueling tanker uh, in time. So they were going to send us back to the fleet to do nothing but uh, pretty much tanking missions, back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back cruises. And I was like, I don't really want to do that. Right. So... Fortunately, at the time, though, they came up with a new program that they now call FTS, full-time support, where I became a reservist, but a full-time reservist. So I act the same as an active duty guy, but my whole world just became the training command. So for the next, uh, yeah, for a total of 12 years, I taught in the T-45. Uh, we have four 
advanced strike squadrons, and I ended up teaching in all four of them. And that is that is literally, you know, for for the layman, including myself at home, that that is taking pilots up in the sky and and putting them oh, through drills. Yes, sir. Yeah, they they've just come from primary from T sixes or T thirty fours in the old days, and we teach them the intermediate and advanced syllabus, uh, everything from uh, familiarization, uh, advanced instruments, uh, formation flying, tactical formation, uh, air combat maneuvering. We used to teach uh, air to air gunnery. Um, and uh, uh, dropping bombs, weapons, and finally culminating with uh, landing aboard the carrier for the first time. Right. Wow, which I'm sure is extremely scary. Now, to, to touch upon the original uh, Top Gun for a second, in, at the start of that film, we witness a pilot, Cougar, essentially going through a kind of anxiety attack in the sky because I think he's, he's, does his plane fly through a jet wash is that is that an actual term for uh, it? no he's simply he gets the guy behind him he I gets uh, one of those f5 yeah the f5 freedom fighter that's supposed to be a mig 28 gets behind him right. he gets tone he knows he's locked up yeah. and that causes him to have some type of a breakdown i'm he looks at a picture of his wife and child, right. I guess. Right. Hopefully it's his wife and child, not just some woman and a kid. Came with the wallet, you know? <laughs> you never know. But now, what I was going to ask you in regards to that was, in, in your time instructing, were you ever in a situation with a student where you had to talk them down from, you know, going through a, a, an amount of anxiety that stopped them from doing their job? Uh, nothing like that. I've okay. had a student uh, do what's called G-lock before, which is you know totally not their fault. They just weren't prepared for enough Gs, and they caused them to momentarily uh, uh, blank out. I took the controls. They recovered. But then we sent that guy off to what they call the centrifuge, which is that thing you've oh, seen yeah. on movies before where they spin you around until your eyeballs come out. Yeah. Um, and, he, and he came back good to go. He learned his G-tolerance limits and how to affect them better. So you were in the you were in the cockpit behind the guy when he passed out. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, uh, in the instructor. And uh, obviously, you're, you're you're both facing the same direction. So the only reason why you knew that he had passed out was because the 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 controls were not being used. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Yeah. Um, for you, obviously, you're conscious, so it's not too scary. But when he came back to consciousness, was he was he freaked out? Yeah, there are several moments of uh, disorientation. You don't even know where you are or what's going on. Sure. So when that happens, and I've only, only had to do that once, mm -hmm. uh, just started talking to them, just saying, hey, how are you feeling? Right. What, what's your name? Right. And get, ask some basic questions. They come back pretty fast. Right. Which leads me on to my question about G-Force. Um, obviously, we hear about G-Force a lot in these aviation films. And uh, this is... This is the amount of gravity force pushing itself on the human body. Is that correct? And the mind, I guess. Exactly. Uh, a, one G is what you're feeling right now. Yeah. Two Gs would be if you just doubled your weight, and three Gs is if you tripled your weight and so forth. Okay. So it, so it, it literally makes you double as heavy, triple heavy, quadruple heavy. And, and Right, exactly. And suddenly going from being your normal weight to nine times heavier – will do something to the way that your blood moves in your body. Is that correct? Yeah, it sucks it right out of your head. Um, so sucks it from your head to your feet. Is that right? Exactly. It, it follows gravity. So we wear uh, G-suits or speed jeans, if you want to call them that, and that squeezes our legs and torso to try to slow that effect. There's also maneuvers you can do where you basically tighten everything you've got muscle-wise right. uh, from the waist on down or really from the chest on down to try to delay that blood leaving your brain. So the, so the average, let's, let's say for the sake of argument, the average passenger 
in a long haul flight, you're taking off from Los Angeles and you're la- and you're landing in Sydney. Are they feeling? Are they having any experience of G force? And if so, what would that be? Probably very little. I'd say commercial airlines. The most you're probably going to experience, unless something's going a little bit wrong, would be maybe two Gs. Okay. Now, as as you start to ramp that up with your students and with you in your job, you're now pushing into seven, eight, nine, ten Gs. Is that something that you can deal with? Uh, the Goshawk is limited to 7.3. Uh, the Hornet, as they did point out in uh, the, the newer Maverick movie, I'm glad they acknowledged that when he pulled those uh, 9.5, 10 Gs or whatever, simulating pulling out of that canyon, that he may have trashed that Hornet. Um, I, I, I did appreciate that they pointed out. So the plane would literally just break apart. If you're in a Goshawk and you find yourself you know, trying to pull 8 Gs, the, the plane would just start to break apart. Is that correct? Well, it, it probably wouldn't break apart then. You could probably abuse it very badly, but you would have damage around the airplane. You'd have stress points that... Uh, so, yeah, the plane would have to be uh, in, you know, torn way down, inspected every part of it. They'd have to do what's called magnafluxing, the, the metal to see if it was uh, strained right. and so forth. It would almost be like having to tear down and rebuild the whole airplane. Right. So that, that pilot's in trouble if they do that. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that would be bad. Okay. Um, Classically, in these Top Gun films, there's a, there's a huge amount of competition. Certainly in the first film, it's quite, quite mean-spirited competition at times. In the second film, there seems to be a little bit more camaraderie. This, this Top Gun competition, if you will, still continues to happen every year. From, from your experience, is it a little bit more kind of a, a group of people supporting each other than a group of people in competition? It's more people supporting each other, especially at this particular level. And in the fleet... It, this is going to sound kind of odd, but the um, highest honors, if you will, or marks on a fitness report, which is what really matters for your next set of orders, uh, doesn't often come down in any way to flight ability. Um, it, not who has the every landing you make on the ship, they have what's called a greenie board in your ready room. Every landing you make goes on that board for everyone to see. Ooh. So if you're the lowest, everybody knows it. If you're the highest, everyone knows it. But that's more just of a pride. But when, it, but when it comes to advancement, um, fit reps usually have absolutely nothing to do with that. It has to do with who does their, their jobs best, who's gotten the quals fast enough or faster than the others and you know, things like that. But the flying itself really does not weigh in uh, like Top Gun would make you think that it does. Right. And, and I'm sure, obviously, with people living in such close quarters with each other, not only going through the training, but being on an aircraft carrier, what? What is also extremely important is your ability to stay good-humored and, and, and not have a short fuse and things like that, right? It's not that bad. Going on cruise is like going uh, to summer camp with your best friends. It's just nice. the only thing that stinks is being away from your family and friends. Yeah, yeah. Now, on an aircraft carrier, I've never been on an aircraft carrier. I've been lucky enough to be on a submarine uh, that, that was obviously at the surface when I was in Hawaii, which was, which was a fascinating experience. Oh. The, the, yeah, the confinement of that at Pearl Harbor. I, I, was, I was absolutely fascinated by that. But... On an aircraft carrier, um, what are the more surprising things that you guys have that we might not know about? Is there, is there a bar? Is there a screening <laughs> room? Is there a pool table? There is not a bar. There, it's a shame. For a screening room, uh, not per se. There are conference rooms and briefing rooms and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of funny that you should say that because during Vietnam, when a lot of our guys were uh, captured, the... Vietnamese had this idea that the carrier had all kinds of stuff on there, including animals. We must have animals to keep food out there for us, right? <laughs> right so, right, you know, right. where do you keep the cows? Where do you keep cows, the chickens? Yeah. 
Um, and one of the uh, one of the guys who was captured kept telling him, "No, we don't have it," and they kept beating him because they wouldn't believe it. So finally, he's like, "Yeah, fine, okay, we have uh, the bowling alleys here, the you know whatever." He just made up everything he could. He was so tired of them not believing it that yeah. he just gave them what they wanted. And they wrote it all down. So <laughs> misconceptions. Uh, there are about five thousand people on that aircraft carrier. Right. Um, and when the air wing comes on board, the, the aircraft carrier sinks about 12 more inches in the water. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah, it's about 85, 85 aircraft, I think, roughly. Um, How fast can an aircraft carrier go when it's, when it's going as fast as it can? Do you know? Nuclear carriers can get uh, in excess of 33 knots, I think, maybe a little faster. I'm not really sure what their outer limit is. But when it's going that fast, the whole thing does shudder a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, you said 5,000 pe- people on a fully working aircraft carrier, right? So. Right. Within within those five or six months that you're there, you'll generally get to know most people, certainly by faces, right? Uh, only usually who you work with. I could have told you uh, who any of the deck crew were from their faces. Right. I may not recognize them with their cranials off and such, but I would know them by looking at them. Right. Um, and they would know us. And, of course, uh, everyone has their own reputation. Um, most people as high professionals, but a, you know, a few, not so much. Um, so yeah. you always wanted to behave yourself as best as possible. So you yeah. get to, you know, they, they wouldn't do anything dangerous, but you want to make sure that you stay on their good side because they do control your destiny. Nothing yeah. like being on the front of that carrier in the pitch black, all your lights are off. You cannot see anything but two wands out in front of you mm. and you are two feet from going over the side of the deck. Mm. Um, and they're and you're really watching them and trusting them to turn you so that you don't do exactly that. Yeah. Um, now, there's there's probably a misconception that, you know, a lot of these fighter pilots are kind of, uh, you know, cocky and arrogant. And I'm sure that the Top Gun films have not necessarily helped that that much. Do, is, is there kind of, is there this kind of central nucleus of the pilots that are all kind of like, uh, no one... no one really wants to talk to us. Everyone's a little bit shy around us type thing. Uh, no. Um, and a common misconception is that they're all egotistical. Right. But... Truth be told, whenever you do a mission and you come back, training mission or otherwise, 90% of what you're going to talk about is what you did wrong, mm. because that's the only way you learn from it. There's no point in going over the stuff you did right. If you mm. did it right, then that's great. Mm. Um, you have to have a thick skin in this business. If you cannot take constructive criticism, then you are definitely not going to last very long. Also, very important. You don't have to be a self-made martyr, but you do need to own your mistakes. If mm-hmm. you don't, people will learn this quickly. And they will, if you're the guy that always has an excuse why it wasn't your fault, they are never going to trust you. Mm-hmm. So the balance in there is just calling it exactly how it is mm-hmm. and learning from your mistakes, right. owning them. Right. A little bit of humility, I'm sure. Um, now, what's, right. this, what's this thing that goes on in both of these Top Gun films where when, when one of the planes takes off from from the aircraft carrier, you have guys who are obviously, you know, instructing them what direction to move their wheels in and stuff. And they do like a little dance move thing. They're all kind of like, woohoo, there he went. Uh, you'll sometimes get some eccentric behavior out of some of the controllers, but for the most part, the signals are standardized. And um, I think I know which one you're talking about. That might've been yeah. when they were getting ready to, when they had just launched somebody and that was maybe a little cel- celebratory thing. Yeah, I thought maybe because they're so close to such a powerful piece of machinery that is like hurtling down the runway and then out in the sky. Maybe they're just so excited. They're like, yay, there he goes, woohoo. It is kind of a rush. I've stood out on the, on the carrier deck and watched a few uh, launches and 
I was a safety officer, so my job was to be out there and make sure these people who always do their jobs are doing it safely. I felt like kind of a hypocrite, but yeah. <laughs> that was my job. <laughs> I bet it's a rush. I'm sure it's a rush. There was actually, when I, when I first moved to Los Angeles, I said to my friend this, and it doesn't happen anymore, probably for good reason, but when I first moved to Los Angeles, in the back of these kind of magazines, you know, GQ and Esquire and blah, 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 where the classified ads were, I, re I distinctly remember there was this thing that said, be a Top Gun pilot. And it was for a day, you go out into, I, th I think probably like the Joshua Tree or, or, or the Palm Desert or somewhere. And you take off in a plane with a pilot, obviously, and you get the opportunity to quote unquote lock on with your friend in a dogfight. They're obviously staying safe right. and stuff. But you're the person who decides, you know, when you're going to lock on to to your target. Um, they stopped doing that probably because it was incredibly expensive and, and maybe unsafe, <laughs> but there was a point where you could do that. I'm sure you, I remember that. Yeah. You, you must have a lot of people in your life saying, well, could you take me up in, uh, in one of those top gun planes? And you're like, no, that's not how oh, this works. I wish I could believe me the number of people I'd love to take. Yeah. Um, well, well I'll, I'll let you go, Terry. I do, I do want to ask you one last question. Cause I've always wondered about this too. The call signs, the nicknames, is that something that oh. you choose or is that something that is attributed to your personality or is it totally random? It is either something you did mm -hmm. that is embarrassing okay, or it is just some, often a play off someone's last names. And uh, the call signs in Top Gun, of course, are a, a little bit fictional only because they're too kind. Aha. Uh -huh. So it's usually a little bit of a diss. So your last name is Pankhurst. And is that where, is that where your call sign Spanky came from? Because it was Spanky. Yes, yeah, sir. Okay. Nothing. Yeah, I always think I need to come up with a good story for that. There's yeah. you know, where I end up handcuffed to something. But yeah. nah, it's nothing special. In your time working in the Navy, was there someone with a particular call sign where you were like, damn, that's a cool one. I wish I had that. <laughs> well, I can tell you the funniest one I ever yeah, saw please. was on the side of a hornet. And uh, this guy's last name, um, and I apologize to him if he's watching this, but uh, his last name was Bal <laughs> was Balsitis, right. and his call sign was Scroton. Ah, brilliant. I love it. I, lo <laughs> I love the humor in the Probably Navy. not PC these days. Probably nah. couldn't get away with that, but you never know. That's okay. Uh, you got you got to have a sense of humor in, in all walks of life, right? Um, yes, sir. Well, Terry, it's, it's fan uh, fantastic to talk to you, fascinating to talk to you. It's brilliant that... Um, we got a chance to talk to someone who's had the life that you've led at a time where the ma the biggest movie on the planet is is something that is essentially a love letter to to the job that you've done. So uh, it's it's right. been really really fascinating to talk to you. Thank you, Dom. I sure appreciate it. Well, Dom, that was fantastic. Look at you. You you were you were on a roll there. That was that was amazing. That interview. You had me at the edge of my seat. Yeah, thank you. Um, does it make you feel like you might want to quit your career and join the uh, Naval Aviators? Quite a lot. And actually, my son, when he went to see Top Gun Maverick, he wrote to me and says, yeah, that's what I want to do now. Wow. So he's got to be a fighter pilot. How's his vision? Is it 21-21? 22-22. Oh, good for Jack. Nice one, Jack. Well, um... We should say toodle pip to everyone because um, yeah. that fantastic interview with Terry was lovely and weighty and long, and we've yeah. ran out of time. Um, well, it was fantastic. Well done, Terry, and well done, Tom. That was lovely. I very much enjoyed that. Thank you, William. Um, as always, if you guys want to get in touch with us, you can get in touch with us at uh, thefrenchmoney at castmedia.com. Send us all your questions. Send us your riddles. 
send us your tongue twisters, send us your places where you think Lord of the Rings trilogy might benefit from a from a naughty word here and there. Send us uh, ideas for items that you want us to eat from around the world. And if you guys want to look as cool as Tom Cruise in Top Gun Maverick, wear some merchandise from The Friendship Onion. And you can get that at thefriendshiponionpodcast.com. Nice. And uh, we will see you guys next week. See you next week. Bye-bye. Toodles. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.